This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. The question is... Is darts really a sport? It was the worst tackle I've ever seen. Fair play to Joe Root. It was a great knock. There's nothing like a good derby match. It was easily the best 7-9 I've ever hit. Right, come on lads, let's crack on. Hello and welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast with me, Adam Millichip. I'm joined as always by my colleague and good friend, Nigel Boot. I'm also joined by our two co-hosts, Tom and Thomas, who are both students at Technol Wood Special School in Wolverhampton. So just to remind our listeners, Technol Wood School is a school for children and young adults with autism, and we have set up this podcast to provide our pupils with a fantastic opportunity to speak to a range of sports men and women on a weekly basis. So boys and Nigel, how are you all? Oh, I'm doing fine, thank you today. I'm doing fine, yes. Good. Tom, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Happy to be here. Fab, good. So we're going to crack on with our first sportsman in the series. So he's played 38 times for England and 203 times for club team Newcastle Falcons. He played in the 2007 Rugby World Cup. I'm delighted to say hello to Jamie Noon. Hi, Jamie. How are you? Hi, yeah. Yeah, good, thank you. Not too bad. Good. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a difficult year for everyone. COVID-19, how has it been for you in France? It's been it's been a bit of a roller coaster, a little bit like everywhere. I think contrary to what you guys have done with the vaccine, we haven't uh, had a massive rollout of the vaccine just yet. So we're kind of still a little bit in lockdown and, and trying to work within those sort of restrictions hasn't been that easy. But um, we're getting through it and everyone's, I think, is just having to adapt to the, the current situations, the current climate and, and, and do the best they can. Right, so Jamie, we'll take you back to the start of your career. Tell us about that. Who were your rugby heroes and how did you get into the sport in the first place? Well, I didn't actually have any heroes as such, just because my dad was a footballer. I played football for the army, played football um, for the county and stuff. And so I always thought I'd be a footballer. That was my, I don't think I was necessarily that good at the time I thought I was. So I actually got into rugby 
kind of by default. I went to a school that didn't play football. You started your career at the rugby club. What are your memories of playing at the club? No, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed my time with. I still help out. I still got friends who are involved in the club, and and you know, for me, it was a is a real family orientated club. You know, the guys who we played with or I played with at the time were. You know, all local lads and they're all guys who just, you know, who just came in and did their best on a weekend. And, and you know, and it was all sort of a, a mixture of different sort of, I suppose, statuses, I suppose, that there were different people work, you know, people would come in from work, uh, after work, do a session. They'll come in, uh, they'll have worked in the morning, maybe a Saturday or Sunday morning, and then they'll play on a on weekend. So it was different, very different, but I really enjoyed it. And it was my first sort of, I suppose, taste of, adult rugby which was which is quite important at the time when you were a youngster Jamie were you always um playing in the center or did you did you move to center at some point in your career so when I was at school we, I went to a small school and so there weren't too many choices and so I ended up playing back row at school but I thought I was I was okay uh, until we played against some of the bigger schools and they had you know naturally bigger mm-hmm. bigger guys and that was quite that was quite difficult um and then with Whitby, because again, I was too small for adult rugby to play in the back row. I played, sometimes I played nine, sometimes I played 10, sometimes I played um, centre. But it was, wasn't until I sort of went and joined Newcastle Academy that I started to play centre more often than not. And then when I started um, my professional career with, with Newcastle, I started uh, on the wing a little bit. Did anyone at Newcastle really help you at the start of your career? There was lots, to be honest. There wasn't just the one. I mean, the first, the main one was obviously the guy who, there was a scout who came and watched me uh, at Whitby, the guy who brought me to Newcastle, um, who, who was, you know, who was instrumental. Without him, I wouldn't have had a career. You know, obviously, there's a lot of hard work that goes into that. But um, Paul McKinnon was the guy that who who spotted me and, and saw promise in me, you know, that, that I wasn't a guy who, who had done well in these trials. And so for me, it was, um, uh, you know, it was a big thing to get the opportunity. You know, I worked really hard and we had a good group of, of young lads. You know, we had, a lot, we had a lot of guys who came through the academy in those years and went on to play professional rugby. Some played for England, Dave Walder, Tom May. Obviously, Johnny Wilkinson was, was sort of there or thereabouts. He was our age, but he was playing pro rugby at the time. Um, oh. There was a lot of other guys who came through the academy at the time. So we all kind of fed off each other and, and worked mm. off each other. Um, obviously, at the time, the manager of the pro team was uh, was Rob Andrew. And so he's, you know, he's helped us young guys come into the squad and also develop uh, in those, especially in those early years. We've managed to speak to a few um, few people at your old rugby club and your old school. And um, so one of the questions was, I think you kind of touched on it a little bit, is what was it like playing rugby at such a small school in Filing Hall? Filing Hall, yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Yeah, no, it was a small school. I mean, and we were in the middle of nowhere. We were in a, you know, we were in the middle of Yorkshire in a, in a, literally in a kind of a field. You know, we used to walk down this massive hill to get to the games field. Um, but, but I didn't know anything else. You know, I didn't know anything better as it were. You know, for us, it was, it was, it was awesome. It was, it was brilliant. We're, we're at, we're in nature. We're out the way. Um, we kind of did our own things. You know, we had schooling and, and um, we could, we could, pot around in and around the, you know it's Robin Hood's Bay which is not far from Whitby and, and they're beautiful pla- places to be you know so um, 
I didn't know anything else from the from the sporting perspective. Um, you know, there were some good guys in there who, who were, you know, talented in different aspects. And, and uh, again, you kind of just try and learn as, as much you can from the staff and from the teachers and and do your best. And, and um, like I say, I, I really enjoyed my time there. I really, really enjoyed my time there. Just going to the sort of last question at the start of your career. We've got a, um, a question here from a youth team player at Whitby Rugby Club. And their question is, do you have any advice for youngsters coming through the game at the moment? Watch yeah. as much of the sport and specifically players who are in your position. We talked about this hero to start with. There's a particular player top of the game. Analyse his game. Watch what he does. Try and replicate that. Um, you know, and take chances. You know, it's all well and good um, working a skill in the week. But if you don't try it, try it on the weekend, then obviously you're, you're, you're not actually sort of uh, developing that skill to the full, yeah. to the fullest. Yeah, very choosing very good advice. Moving on from kind of your, your youth career into kind of Newcastle, um, how did that kind of come about? Who kind of approached you, and what are your memories of sort of first signing for Newcastle? Well, at the time, um, like I say, there was a group of us, a good young group of lads uh, coming through, and um, we were we were asked to play in some of them. Some of the games that were, it was like an Anglo-Welsh Cup at the time. And so there was a couple of games who were, that were, I suppose, uh, not seen as, as, as important. And so uh, a couple of the youngsters got a run out and, you know, I played on the wing a couple of times. And, and uh, you know, there was a, a, an element of progression. We were training a little bit more with the pros. We were asked to train with the pros, which was, you know, which was awesome. And then in that year, I, th- I don't know what... what I don't know the reason behind it, but Rob uh, sat, I think there was five of us or six of us down and said, look, you know, guys, we've got this contract, take it or leave it. <laughs> um, so we were like, well, yeah, sweet, cool. So we signed, we signed on a couple of years. And then I think, I think that year I got, I got invited to some of the England stuff and, and towards the back end of, of that sort of first season, we started playing more regular rugby. And then the following year, were asked to join um, the preseason. It was a World Cup year, so they were missing quite a lot of their stars at the time. So yeah. internationals were away, and so we ended up um, being involved in in the in well the, the warm up games, and then obviously that sort of sprung to the to the to the program games whilst everyone was away. And then then when they came back, we still was involved, and that was you know, it was pretty special to still sort of be clinging on because it felt like we were maybe there just as you know, just whilst those guys were away, but it worked out okay in the end. Looking back at your time at Newcastle, do you feel the team reached their full potential? <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. We had some really good guys there. We had some real good guys um, that went on to, you know, a lot of them went on to play international rugby. Um, we just, we didn't quite get the balance right at the time, I think. Um, you know, we had we had quite a good set of backs uh, or we had a we had a team or a, a style of playing that was predominantly backs or forwards that, that that run around a little bit. And if we'd had maybe a couple more guys up front that were were a bit more sort of set piece orientated, then we maybe could have done a little bit better. But um, to be honest, for me, it was um, it was my it was my club. You know, I felt like we as young guys that came through the system. There was a lot of us in there. Um, we kind of. Uh, the club kind of molded around us and with us and stuff. And so for me, it was, you know, it was just really nice to be playing for the club and with those, you know, with my mates and my friends. 
I know you moved on on to France later in your career, but was there any time in your club career where you thought about moving to a different club? Well, initially it was always yeah, it was always Newcastle because I was playing with my friends, I was enjoying it, and it was going well, you know. So I didn't I didn't see a a real concern to move. And then as things sort of developed, and 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 I decided that uh, or I had sort of clubs interested in in my services, as it were. That there was always an element of doubt whether we were going the right direction. You know, we were kind of we weren't doing as well um, in the league as we you know as we could. And there was obviously a lot of other guys who were doing well. And there was question marks as to whether or not you need to be in a better club if you're involved with England. But for me, you know, at the time Newcastle, I moved when Newcastle had, had kind of changed, and and it was I felt like it was the right time. You know, a lot of my friends had left. And the club was going um, down a different path. And, and yeah. for me, it was the, the right time to move on, you know. How do you motivate yourself before a game? Everyone has their own different approaches. It's quite interesting. A lot of people listen to music. So uh, a lot of players you'll see with the headphones on. And, and the different amount or the different uh, variety or, or genre of music <laughs> is quite funny because there's some guys who like, <laughs> dance music they need they need or they need rap heavy sort of rap and and lots of swearing and stuff to get into the zone but for me yeah so but for me i i just i just tried to relax before games um you know i sort of trusted that i'd done the work before the week so all the week you're training for the weekend and so i've i trusted that i'd done the, the work leading into the game and I just trusted my instincts. The position I played, you never really know what's going to happen in the game. And you have to react and you have to react based on your experiences or, or previous uh, situations or, like I say, trainings that you've done all week. So for me, it was about reacting. So if I played the game too early in my head, then I'd be too stressed and I'd be too worried. But actually, it wouldn't serve as a, as a, as a real purpose because... The game is different every week, you know, and you can't necessarily preempt too much to what's going to happen. So for me, I used to just listen to some nice, relaxing music. I didn't get too, I just went through my processes. So um, strapping, you know, warm up, team talk, and then we'd go out. Um, just moving on now to kind of your England career. Uh, so you played for Newcastle for a few years and then got your England call up in 2001. Was it right? So how yeah. did that come about and how did you kind of find out and what was it like getting the call up? Well, I, I'd, been in, I'd been invited a couple of times to the training. I'd been invited to, I've even been invited to a couple of games. I'd play England A stuff. So I was kind of on the, on the brink. Um, and then it was a Lions year and we had a tournament um, a little bit like this year. We, we had a tournament, uh, I think we were Canada and America. So they took a squad of young guys and, and, and I was in that squad. And then I managed to, to be picked for the first game. And again, what was really special about it wasn't, it was obviously that it was my first cap, but it was that there was other guys from Newcastle with me, alongside me. And so going through that whole process for the first time with those guys, it felt, felt quite relaxing because those guys were going through it. And, and like I said before, in terms of preparation for games, they were always there and I always saw them. So um, Dave Wardwell and Michael Stevenson were there. And, and for me, it was it was nice that they were there to share it with me. The, the games went quite quickly. Um, we won and, and we improved. We played three games on that tour and we, and we improved over, over, the, over the couple of games. But 
um, no, it was uh, it was a special moment for me, and and uh, I really enjoyed it. To be honest, I really enjoyed the whole experience. What is the difference between playing rugby for England and Newcastle? Well, like I said before, Newcastle, you're playing with your friends and you're playing with guys that you train with every week that you you know very very well. When you play for England, you come into a squad and maybe train with each other for. Well, at the, at the time when I started, is we'd, we'd do a couple of days in a week. We'd have to go back to our clubs and we'd come down the following week for a day or two and then go back to our clubs. Whereas nowadays, they're, they're down for a little bit longer together. Um, and it's guys that you play against, you know, it's guys that you, you know, you've, you're, you're fighting with um, to win and, and in terms of competitions uh, week in, week out. And then you're sort of all put together. It's a huge, huge amount of pride when you're involved with England. It's a huge, especially anyone for their country is, is you know, is huge playing for your country. Um, in terms of the game and the level, so much faster um, and the physicalities, the physicalities right up there. You know, sometimes in games for Newcastle, it, it slows down a little bit or there's too, there's quite a lot of errors or, um, you know, there's a lot of kicking. Uh, with England, it felt like there was it was going very, very fast all the time. So in terms of decision making, you have to make, Good decisions very quickly in limited amount of time, um, or, or you're or you're found out because you're playing against guys that one to fifteen are as good as you, if not better. And you have to you have to you know know your systems, understand what's being asked of you, and play your play your part in that in that game plan. I suppose. So you played alongside probably the best, if not one of the best, fly halves both at club and country level. So I just wanted to come on to Johnny Wilkinson. What was it like? To have him as a teammate for what for twelve years was it something like that at club and country? Yeah, uh, I think it was eleven about eleven years in the end. Um, no, it was obviously at the time he was he was world apart from everybody else in terms of his approach, in terms of his attitude, in terms of his um, dedication to the game. You know, uh, he was some you know for, we're the same age, um, but because of his because of his ability more than anything, he, he was, you know, I looked up to him throughout my whole career, you know, and I looked to him to try and improve aspects of my game that, that I really needed to improve and to, you know, maybe be a little bit more professional to try and achieve just a, a, a glimmer, a smidge of what he achieved in the game. You know, he was at the forefront, especially, you know, a number 10 that tackled the way he tackled. There was no, there was no one around like that, you know, more and more so now there's obviously players have, have caught up and the game's caught up, but at that particular time, he was a trailblazer and, and you know, it was, it was great to be um, in association with him, um, with Newcastle. The, the way he liked to play was the way I liked to play. He helped me because we had, we had a relatively open, open, um, style of play and his ability to attack the line yet still chuck a massive, uh, massive pass helped me get out of certain scrapes and helped me sort of attack uh, a little bit wider. So the balance was pretty good, you know? Um, And like I say, his his attention to detail work ethic was second to none. So, um, so he drove standards and he, and he got everybody else um, wanting to be as, as, as good or if not better than, than they were. Yuan Johnny Wilkinson, most have gone on lots of tours together. Do you have stories from your time at Newcastle or England? You will. You won't find many stories with Johnny, unfortunately. <laughs> um, the the stories you have. I mean, there's one. I think there's one that was in his book where 
he used to like uh, occasionally when we weren't involved in games and stuff, we'd go and watch the games. So say, uh, I think it was Newcastle against Leicester one year. Um, and there was a couple of us w- who were rested for Newcastle. Um, so we went and watched the game at his house. But what we had to do was we all had to dress up. He was sponsored by Adidas at the time, still is, I think, and and had a load of Adidas stuff, but it was kind of crazy Adidas stuff. And so we all had to choose an outfit. And then we all went into the village, into the town that he lived, and we had to go and have, uh, I think it was tea and cake, dressed up in um, <laughs> fancy dress stuff from his Adidas cupboard. Um, but, you know, he was... He was very, uh, he was very professional on and off the field, and so there wasn't, there's not, wasn't too many stories with him. When he was a bit younger, there was maybe a couple more, but um, say so for the for the sort of big name that he is, yeah, he's not really in the media very much. You don't really hear too much about him. So I just suppose that shows what kind of uh, a top sportsman he is. And what well, it's just it was his dedication. You know, from the onset, he was, um, like I say, in advance of everyone else. He 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 had foresight to see that he was. The way, the way he continued to, to train and, and work, he would achieve what he wanted to achieve. I see see behind you, Jamie, you've got um, an England shirt on the wall there. Your story behind that shirt? So that's that's England, Scotland, 19th of March, 2005. And that's... Um, Special game for you, wasn't it? Yeah, so a couple of reasons. One, because my, my son was born uh, like the month before. Uh, and this was kind of like the first game that they could get to and, and my wife and, and we'd planned that week to, to get them down to watch the game. And, and um, so that in itself, the fact that they were there, uh, my first son was, was, was really special. But then I managed to squeak over for a couple of tries. So um, I managed to get three tries in the game. And so it made it even more special for me. So. Um, I kept the kept the shirt and got the program, and I've also got the match ball from uh, from the game as well. So was it um, was it Sir Clive Woodward who was coach when you were playing for England? Was yeah, that... he was coach to start with. Yeah, I went through a couple of coaches in my time. <laughs> so is there any particular coach that kind of stands out as being not necessarily better, but more of an influence on the game? Well, I think I think with Clive, Clive was um, more manager. He wasn't a coach; he was a manager, um, and he. But he really put everything in place. So he put a lot of people in place, the best coaches in place, to achieve um, what he achieved. You know, obviously second to none in the game in England, um, and and you know he he would literally sort of not leave any stone unturned to achieve what he uh, what he achieved in the game. Now every coach comes with a different style, I suppose, different approach, and, and different times that. You know, things that work and things that don't work, but for you know, for me it was, for me it was all about just trying to be involved on a, on a weekend. You know, I wasn't necessarily too bothered who the coach was. It was trying to trying to do the best I could do and hope that that was enough to get an opportunity. What made New Zealand special and kind of what was it also like kind of face the hacker? Yeah, I mean, it's a legend, isn't it? The hacker. It's a, it's such a. You know, it's such a tradition. It's such a such an important part of their game. It's such an important part of their lifestyle as well over there. Um, you know, but growing up and, and going through rugby, you you watch so many games with the All Blacks um, doing it, and we we had some Kiwis who come over and would play again, uh, play with us or against us, and so they would that would be a bit of a party trip when they've had a couple of beers. So you kind of get slightly immune to it when you do face it for the first time because you know it's coming. There's a, there's an element of anticipation 
you know, a lot of people know, certain, you know, some of the words, especially the start and stuff. And so you kind of try not to sing it back to them and not to do the <laughs> actions and stuff. But, um, but for me, I kind of, I kind of liked it. You know, it's a challenge. Uh, the, the, the reason they do the hacker is to challenge you, you know, and I felt like it was something that was, that I could use for me as well, you know, try and spur me on to do, to do well in the game. Um, you know, they are phenomenal rugby players, one to, one to, one to 15. They're all capable of playing with the ball. Um, they're all uh, very good decision makers. They're big, they're strong, they're fast. You know, they have everything. And mm. um, they also have a, a, a way of playing the game that, that suits them very well. And so, you know, in terms of an opposition, very, very difficult. I didn't win a game against New Zealand. Before we move on to your re uh, retirement, uh, Jamie, uh, my uh, brother-in-law, I was telling him that we was interviewing yourself and he's, he's mentioned the 2007 World Cup final against uh, South Africa. Did you think that Mark Keto's try was a try? I, at the time, I it thought, yeah. It still hurts. At the time, I thought, yeah. But then having looked at it, I, I think that his foot was in touch, to be honest. I mean, it doesn't really matter now, but... Um, you know, at the time, I definitely, well, without a slow, uh, a, a slow mo replay and stuff, then I would have said, yeah, that's a try. And then, unfortunately, I think there was, you know, it was slightly out into touch, unfortunately. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it, it wins games, sadly, but uh, never mind. <laughs> Maybe uh, next You time. were injured for that game, weren't you? Yeah, so I, um, I ended up getting injured in the second game. So I played against South Africa in the second game and I, uh, hurt my knee ligament so I had to go home but then I flew out for the final um, yeah. and watched the final in the stands unfortunately who knows how different it may be uh, been uh, Jamie if you'd been allowed to play well yeah maybe, never mind maybe it'd be worse maybe it'd be worse <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not so when we come on to kind of your retirement Jamie how how did that come about did you some people say they know it's time well, I got I got old I got very <laughs> old so um it was a it's a difficult one, really, the old retirement, because everybody wants to continue as long as they can. But, you know, naturally, we, you know, we want to be the best we can. But when we're not and when things start to slow down a little bit, then then obviously you, you, you have to start thinking of, uh, of the future. Now, I would have liked to have done one more year um, with Brief, but unfortunately, we we didn't agree on, on contract and stuff. And I just felt that moving away from home and where we were living I got three children and they were settled here and I just didn't feel like that was necessarily worth worth putting them through just for, for one more year so thankfully I, I I got through my career relatively injury free and so didn't have too many issues don't have too many issues now so um so I got out I got out maybe a little bit premature but then I get out I got out on my own terms and, and my body's body's fine how did that move to, to France come about? Why why France? Why not another club in England? Well, I think that was exactly it. It was it was this element of if I stayed in England, I, I would have been playing against the same people, the same teams, the same you know. And I was kind of in a bit of a period of my life where if we're going to do something different, I felt like it was something you know worth doing something different. We played against uh, Breve and and I obviously played okay, and they contacted me after and and, and asked if it was something I would I would look at and. I'd ne it'd never been on the radar. I hadn't sort of thought about going over to France, but at the time it was like, well, why not? Let's explore it. And, and we ended up, my, in fact, my wife came over to have a look first. Um, Cause if you keep the, 
the wife happy than the rest of that. <laughs> so she came over and I think um, it was maybe January, February time in the glorious sun over here in France. It was beautiful. And, and in England, it was, I was looking after the kids and it was raining. So she was like, well, this is awesome. Let's do it. No brainer. Exactly. Looking at your Instagram, I see you're into your cycling. Is is that what you do to keep fit? I wouldn't say I'd, I keep fit anymore. What it actually helps me with is just stress. You know, I, I like I said, I trained and I was professional and I worked really hard um, for a long time as a rugby player. And so I needed that outlet. I needed that sport. I needed to do some form of exercise. It helps me declutter. It helps me de-stress. And also it helps me stay relatively healthy. You know, I think especially with with all that is COVID and, and, and being at home and stuff, it, it's something that's helped me manage it all. Um, you know, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy especially, you know, a lazy Sunday uh, bike ride with some friends and stuff. I, I really do enjoy it. It's challenging. Uh, it's not necessarily easy. I've done a couple of mountain stages and stuff, and, and I found them really, really tough. I'm not built as a cyclist, so it's tough, but I, I, do, I do really enjoy it, to be honest. What's the best thing about living in France? Mm, um, well, you could say the wine, the cheese. It's, um, I think compared to the Northeast, it's got to be the climate. Um, <laughs> the weather is a lot better here than it is in the Northeast, um, more often than not. Yeah. How did you find the language barrier? Um, well, I found it tough to start with because um i'd done well as a, as a rugby player um french wasn't necessarily high on my priorities as a, as a child so i didn't do too too much french and then i came to france and then it was baptism of fire and, and you know basic things just getting you know going to shops and trying to you know sort your house out with um you know washing machines and stuff i just didn't know i just um we used to carry a dictionary around before <laughs> Before Google Translate, now Google Translate, I've seen people talking to each other into Google Translate. It's phenomenal. So, but after you know a year or so, maybe a bit longer, you start to pick up the basics and understand more and more. And we, we like I say, we had three children at school and, and French school, and they ended up helping loads. And we end up using them as our translators as well. So now it's um, now it's not too bad. It's a bit easy. Question from a listener. Jamie. Hi, my name's Neil. Do you have any pre-match superstitions? Uh, I I sort of did, yeah, in the sense that I I wouldn't put my shirt, my match shirt on until I was just going out. So so I'd do the I'd do the warm up. I, I always got uh, very sweaty and quite hot, so I'd, I'd have done the warm up. I'd take my my top off and I'd be getting like my boots on, my boots on, or changing my boots or whatever, and getting my gum shield and getting ready for the game. And then we'd come together. I'd always obviously have my shirt on me. I'd, I'd, I'd carry my shirt, but I wouldn't put my shirt on yet until I was going out. There wasn't an issue it was just because I was so hot. I just didn't do it. But then I, because I just because that's what I did, I kind of kept I kept that mm. up. Like I say, there's a lot of superstitions in the game, and people do. Um, people have to go out last or have to go out first or you know there's lots of different things but that was that was my thing and, and when you have a superstition that it's all it's all fun and games except for when you don't have that thing you forget that <laughs> thing or it's broken or it's ripped or you know a friend of mine um, at Breathe he used to wear a shirt um, that he had from uh, school so I was like 13 years old 
So he has this shirt, but it's all ripped. It's all, it's all, it's all, it's all horrible color. It's it's horrible. But he had to wear that under his top. Um, but as soon as and if and when that isn't there, then the mind games of uh, well, I've gone the other way. Then haven't they? So it's strange. I don't think in any other sort of job you have superstitions, but it seems that every sportsman, even for myself, who plays at local level, right to the top sportsman, everyone's got some sort of superstition and. I suppose it starts off, you do something once, you win the game, and you think that's the reason you won the game, because of the, the, what you did. And then it just yeah. just continues, doesn't it? It's... Yeah. We have a question from Matt in Shrewsbury. Hi, Jamie. Matt Creed here. Just wanted to ask, what's the best prank that you've been involved in, whether it be you or teammates? Cheers. Thanks. Bye. Best prank. I, I tell you the strangest prank. Um, Obviously, at rugby clubs, most guys have their lockers um, in the training ground. A lot of guys lock their lockers. A lot of guys, you know, have have their boots in there, have some supplements, maybe some protein or some spare kit and stuff. Well, when I was in Breathe, there's a couple of times where they used to prank people by putting things in their lockers. So when they opened their locker, they, they could see this, whatever it was. And so I'd, I'd seen chickens in there, live chickens. People put live chickens. I've seen... Um, heads of animals so <laughs> pig's heads so if, if there's an islander who's doing a big pig roast sometimes there's a pig head in there um various things like that so it's a bit it's a bit freaky a bit scary but it's a bit dark um, isn't it it definitely yeah. has a as a it definitely gets a response from the person opening that locker i'm telling you <laughs> Um, I'd just like to finish by saying thank you so much to Jamie for taking the time to chat with us today. Um, we really appreciate it and we really appreciate the time you've given us, Jamie. Um, you didn't have to do it and, and us as a school are really, really thankful for, for taking the time to chat to us. No problem at all. Thanks for all the questions. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Thomas. Thanks, Tom. Bye. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, thanks. So our next podcast, boys, any idea who's coming up? Yeah, so it's a really exciting one. We're joined by actor, film producer, musician and host of his talk sport show, Johnny Owen. I also know he's a big football fan, so it'd be good to hear his views on everything that's happened in football over the last few weeks. Our TWS Sports podcast is going to be released every Tuesday, so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. The TWS Sports podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and many other podcast streams. So thank you, Nigel, and cheers for joining us, boys. And thanks, Jamie, and thanks for listening. Thank you very much. Thank you. If you would like to get in touch with us on the podcast about a story or you have a question for a guest, then please email twssportspodcast at hotmail.com. Hi, it's uh, ex-England rugby player Jamie Noon here. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the TWS Sports Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and other podcast apps. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.